you're not screened for these two things, then you're going to come up with issues down the road with individuals, yeah. most likely. And if you are screening out, then you'll be set up better in the long term. Before we get into today's episode, are you a fix and flipper who needs some money? You need to maybe do more deals and you're limited by the funds you have available. Well then, Fund That Flip, today's best ever sponsor, has a solution for you. And you know Fund That Flip, right? You're a loyal best ever listener. The founder, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show multiple times and they have been a previous sponsor and they love working with the best ever listeners and they provide short-term fix and flip loans to experienced investors. They've got an online platform, makes the entire process super easy, and you can get funded in as few as seven days. So if you're looking for a reliable funding partner, go to fundthatflip.com and mention that, well, you heard about it on the Best Ever Show. Best Ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. I am with Theo Hicks, who's usually with me on Fridays. How you doing, sir? Doing good. How you doing? I'm doing well. And let's see, for following Friday's Best Ever listeners, as you know, we talk about what we got going on, observations, and today we're going to talk about some lessons learned from an investor standpoint. So how do we want to get started? Well, I think we'll go right into our main topic, which is two reasons to not bring on an investor for your apartment deal. And this is something based off of your personal experience, and you're going to kind of wrap it into the bigger picture. Uh-huh. The two reasons, and this is, as you mentioned, this is based on my personal experience. This is something that I've come across, and I thought, well, so often in business, we're focused on acquiring customers. And in real estate, if you partner with other people, investors, on deals, then they're your customers. So the thought process usually is that you want as many customers or investors as possible, right? And the approach that I've seen myself take recently has been to be more selective with my investors. And in particular, I've come across a couple things that have been red flags for me. And there are things that because of these red flags, I've chosen not to move forward with some investors. And let me take a step back though. What do we ultimately want? We want to grow our business and help others along the way achieve their goals. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that with real estate, it is a long-term play, usually. You might be a fix and flipper who's listening, you might bring in investors, but even if you're a fix and flipper who brings in an investor, the fix and flip will likely take start to finish six months, mm-hmm. about. But you're probably going to want that investor on multiple deals. So it's a long-term thing. And with my deals, apartment syndications, they're projected to be, each of them, five years. Mm-hmm. So it's a five-year relationship. I mean, name a five-year relationship you've had with someone. Exactly five years? Probably not. Uh, like or or more. Or more. Five so I haven't even known my wife for five years. Exactly. And we are bringing in business partners who we're going to be in relationship with for five years. So we have to be really comfortable with mm-hmm. them. 
You were incredibly selective with Marcella, right? I was. Yes, yes. <laughs> you chose to marry her. Congratulations, by the way. It's been about two, three weeks, right? Yeah. And it's important that I'm selective with who I bring on for a five-year plan because we've all got to be selective. So because we need to be selective because it's a long-term commitment, we've got to identify what do we look for. And I've taken some notes here so we can have a structured conversation. And for me, it's really simple. And we'll get to two red flags in a second. Let's talk about what we're looking for first. One is it's someone who trusts me as a person. As a human being, they know or believe or trust in me. They know or believe that I'm a good person. I'm a, I'm a good person, but they have to believe that. If they don't believe that, if they think I am an evil person or someone who's out to get them, then they're going to act differently than someone who trusts me as a human being. And we'll get into how that manifests itself or could manifest itself later. Two is I want them to treat me as a partner, not as a vendor. Yeah. Because technically we are partners. I'm on the general partnership side and limited partnership side because I co-invest in all the deals. And they're on the limited partnership side. Both of those categories have a common word in them and that's partnership. So we are a partner and not a vendor. And third is that I look for someone who I can be in a five-year relationship with. So those are the three things. Now, have you read the book Blink, Malcolm Gladwell? What was that again? It talks about thin slicing. Yeah, I read that book. Okay. When the book Blink, and best ever listeners, if you haven't read the book, go read the book. It's a really good book. Mm -hmm. In the book Blink, he talks about thin slicing, and thin slicing is basically the science of making quick, informed decisions within a blink of an eye. <laughs> and you do that based on your previous life experiences and other context clues that are coming at you, and Malcolm Gladwell makes a case that you can make well-informed decisions, in fact, more intelligent and accurate decisions in a blink of an eye mm -hmm. compared to if you laboriously look over a problem and you finally come up with a conclusion five hours later, five weeks later. Well, in that book, there's a study that I'll always remember. And the study is about couples. And for best ever listeners who are listening to the numbers I'm about to say, I don't exactly remember the exact numbers, but it's approximately what I'm about to say. Close enough. Okay. <clears throat> so in one of the studies in the book, it's a study on marriages and the likelihood of a couple getting divorced in the future. And what they did is they hooked up the couple's brains with these helmets with sensors and stuff mm -hmm. on their brains and they had the couple in a room and they asked the couple to talk about a topic that is a point of contention between them. So something they don't agree on. And when they hooked them up and the couple talked about maybe getting a dog, for example. One doesn't want a dog, one does want a dog. After seven seconds, just seven seconds of them discussing the dog topic, the scientist was able to determine within 90 plus percent accuracy, 90 plus percent accuracy, <clears throat> if they were going to get divorced in two years. If they're going to be divorced in the future, they could predict with 90% plus accuracy based on seven seconds of interaction talking about something that they don't agree on. It's in the book, Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. 
So that's interesting. But how did they determine that? What's the takeaway? And the main thing they identified is in the way the face moves and the way your tone is and what you say in that short period of time, they picked up like thousands of different cues and they put it in the algorithm and they identified that there's one leading emotion that if it showed up in that seven second span, then you're done as a couple. Mm. Guess what that is? I don't know. I remember the study from the book, but I can't remember what it was. Guess. Disgust? Close. Contempt. Contempt. Okay. Contempt. If one person in the couple had contempt towards the other, hmm. then marriage is done. Absolutely done. So I know what contempt sense. is. Everyone probably knows what it is, but let me just tell you the Google definition. It's <laughs> funny how we don't do Webster anymore. I just search in Google. So here's the definition of contempt. The feeling that a person or thing is beneath consideration, worthless or deserving scorn. I think really the beneath consideration is the important part here because that's probably where we'll surface more in partnership and real estate. So what I look for now transitioning to the red flag thing, I don't want to get a divorce with an investor. I want a long-term relationship. So it's logical to approach the same partnership that I would have with Colleen from the screening process to a investor. And that is I want to make sure that there won't be contempt in the relationship at the beginning because if there is, we're done as a partner. How it manifests itself is if I'm picking up on contempt from an investor at the beginning where I get a feeling that they think I'm beneath consideration or deserving scorn, then I move on. And you might think, dude. Does that really happen? It does happen, not frequently. I think I've had over a thousand investor calls and this has only happened five times. So it's a very, very small percentage. But when you identify people in that category, you gotta move away from them. Were you able to move away from these five investors? I was. Let me give you a real life example of what contempt, in my opinion, looks like when an investor reaches out to me. I'll make this investor anonymous, obviously. I won't give any personal identifiable information, but I'm gonna read you the exact thread and you'll see why I said, peace out. So on my website, investwithjoe.com, there's a form for accredited investors who are interested in building a relationship with me and potentially investing in the future. Mm -hmm. I wanna make sure I accurately say that for SEC purposes, then they can go there and they do. I get a lot of these submissions every day. So this is a person who I'm about to read the info, not personal info, but what they said. This is a person who reached out to me. I didn't reach out to him. He reached out to me and he submitted his name, his email, his phone number, like everyone does. And the question I have, are you an accredited investor? Yes or no? They said yes. Are you looking to invest at least 50000 Yes or no? They said yes. And then I have a question. What would you like to tell me about yourself? And some people talk about their backgrounds. Some people talk about how they got to where they're at. Some people just write a couple sentences. Hey, I'm just looking to diversify. Some people might write one sentence. Other people might tell me how they've succeeded in business. All sorts of varying answers. And this person, here's what they wrote. Three sentences. I'm in deals with XYZ, another multifamily syndicator. And they said, 
My standards are high, period. My patience for slick marketing is low, period. That's it. That's all they sent over. And I'm wondering why they initially mentioned that to me, because they're the ones reaching out to me. So it immediately raises a red flag, but not enough for me to say, no, thank you. So I reply back and I basically say, thanks for reaching out to invest with me. I would love to get on call and get to know you more and learn more about your goals. I've attached some company information about Ashcroft Capital and with case studies, our business model, mm-hmm. etc. our approach. And his reply is, Joe, it looks reasonable, period. So what I'll need to hear is why do some deals with you as opposed to continuing with XYZ. And in that message, <coughs> it doesn't sit right with me. Because first off, I know who he's investing with, and that person's a great person. And I actually mentioned that, I skipped over that, I actually mentioned that to this investor. I said, who you're investing with is a great person, and I'm glad you're doing it. And this follow-up is, that looks reasonable, but what I need to know is why I invest with you versus keeping to go with this other person. First off, I'm not going to bash anyone. Yeah. And I don't think he's looking for me to bash anyone, but I'm also at a place now where... I don't need to beat my chest about, hey, invest with me, invest with me over other people. I know what he's ultimately looking for. He's looking for diversification among operators. We both know that. So I'm not sure why he is saying, okay, that's reasonable. But what I need to know from you is this. And perhaps it's some emotional trigger with me where when people tell me what to do, I just don't like it. I've always been that way. So perhaps I'm blowing this out of proportion, which is a possibility. But I took it as, hey, this is an investor who isn't treating me as an equal because he's telling me he needs me to do something and basically to sell myself. Well, I'm not going to do it. So my reply to him is, if you're happy with so-and-so who I've met multiple times, have high degree of respect for, then I just continue doing that. Wish you the best, Joe. And... He replied and said, I'm completely happy with so-and-so, but I like diversification across all variables. Well, of course you do. That's why, I mean, we both knew that. That's the reason why you're reaching out to me. I never replied back. And I asked Samantha, I told her, I don't want to have a call. I'm sure he's a nice person, well-intended, and perhaps it's just the way the writing comes across, but I just don't want that type of relationship with an investor. Yeah, it definitely didn't start off on the right foot. I think kind of, especially in combination with his initial inquiry, I agree with what you're saying. It it seems as if it's not seen as we're partnered. It's more of, are you useful to me? Mm -hmm. Not, is it going to be a mutually relationship? So Yeah, exactly. That's all it is. It's just, we're in a relationship for five years. And the second part of this, so the first one is if you see contempt, if it rears its ugly head in any form or fashion, run the other way, because if you're a couple, you're going to get divorced. And if you're business partners, then you're probably going to get divorced as well. The second thing to look for is if an investor asks a laundry list of questions in an accusatory tone that doesn't convey that they trust you as a person. I want to elaborate on this because I'm totally fine and I expect to field a lot of questions. And I've always answered every single question. But if an investor asks them 
in an accusatory tone where I'm picking up that they just don't trust me as a person, then it doesn't matter what my responses are. They could be A-plus <coughs> responses written in the most grammatically perfect way, covering all the bases. If they don't trust me as a person and they're asking the questions <coughs> in an accusatory tone, they're not going to invest. So it's a waste of time for everyone involved. Yeah. And I've had a couple investors, one recently, who asked literally over 50 questions wow. about the current deal. And he has asked me questions for previous deals. The first conversation I ever had with him was over a year ago. And he's asked me questions on a couple deals. And the current one that we're about to close on, he asked over 50 questions, which is fine. Answered all of them. But the tone of the questions is accusatory and there's an underlying feeling that I get that they just don't trust me as a person. And the reason why that's a problem is because after we close, when I send out my monthly updates to my investors, I do not want 50 questions after sending them the email every month. We don't have a bandwidth for that. I don't have one investor who does that. I don't have one. I certainly get some questions sprinkled in throughout the month once we send out the updates on the 11 properties that we have. But I don't have one investor who's like, oh, shoot. Here we come to update and yeah. let me just brace for these lists of questions. And again, we answer all the questions, but it's the accusatory tone where they don't trust me as a person. That's something that doesn't matter what my answers are. You just can't resolve for. So when you're speaking to investors, if they're just not trusting you as a person, then that's something that I would cut bait and run or say, hey, right now it doesn't look like it's the best fit because of maybe we're not ready from a relationship standpoint, but let's just stay in touch, stay on my emails. Maybe if you're in town, let's meet up. Or if I'm in town, I'll meet up and we'll just continue to build a relationship mm -hmm. because they just need more handholding and it's better to do the handholding prior to entering the relationship than entering the relationship and them still not feeling comfortable with you for whatever reason. Yeah, it sounds like for both the contempt and them not trusting you, going back to your thin slicing concept, it sounds like kind of the way that you identify that is through thin slicing. Like you get that gut feeling they're like, okay, this person doesn't trust me, or this person thinks that he's above me or has contempt for me. And I'm sure anyone has investors to have conversations with a lot of people, private money investors and just investors in general. For me, just getting coffee with certain investors. You sit down and like within the first five seconds you can tell it's gonna be a great conversation. <laughs> I'm really enjoying talking to this guy, or alright, I'm ready to get out of here. Yep. Like within five seconds. I think we all have that built-in instinct for people. And again, it's got nothing to do with you or them. It's just if you're viewing a line, you can just tell the vibes are off. Secondly, a quick follow-up question for both of these that I had beforehand, but I think I know the answer based off of the two reasons, but is this something that more experienced investors should use, or are people that are just starting out, can they still screen out certain investors? Well, the reality is when I was starting out, I wouldn't have screened out anyone. I would have just done what it took to get the deal and then figured it out along the way. So what I just said is a warning for any investor who is starting out because any syndicator who we're not interchanging the terms here mm -hmm. any syndicator who's starting <coughs> out it's a warning that if you're not screening for these two things then 
you're going to come up with issues down the road with individuals, yeah. most likely. And if you are screening out, then you'll be set up better in the long run. So certainly can immediately be applied for more medium to experience syndicators because we're able to pick and choose investors versus having anyone who's interested in accredited invest. I mean, both these concepts, explain that contempt concept, that's a really good one. That can be applied to just any relationship in life. Oh, yeah, exactly. This isn't just investor stuff. It's any relationship. If you're sensing contempt, you're sensing that they think you're beneath consideration, then screw them. Life's too short for people like Mm -hmm. that. And it's not the right fit. And again, this is just about the partnership and the relationship. These people, I believe people are good um, in general. I believe people are good. But that doesn't mean that two good people would always hit it off. Exactly. So, cool. Awesome. All right, so uh, moving on, do you want to just give a quick update on... I don't think we recorded one last week, did we? No, I was jumping up and down, getting 20,000 <laughs> steps at a Tony Robbins conference, Unleash the Power Within in mm-hmm. Florida. It was incredible. The main distinction I got from it, I have a page and a half of takeaways. I have about eight pages of notes, and then I summarize them on a page and a half of bullet point takeaways okay. for me to actually implement and two main things. One is that I will bring more energy to my life because with more energy, I experience more emotions and ultimately we attach our experiences to the emotions we experience during those experiences. Mm -hmm. So by having more energy and more emotion, then I will have a greater level of experiences in life and that's what it's all about. That's number one. And number two... Tony Robbins talks about the six human needs, certainty, uncertainty, love slash connection, significance, growth, and contribution. And he asks in the conference, what are your two driving needs? What two needs are your two that drive your life? And most recently, for the last year or two, it has been love and significance. Love is good, but significance, it's not bad because it's a need, but if it's one of your two driving needs, then you're going to beat your chest more. You're going to look more out for yourself and getting acknowledgement for yourself than other things. So instead, what I've made a commitment to do is have love and contribution as my two driving needs. And it's so freaking obvious with contribution as one of my top two needs, then the more I contribute, the more people benefit, and as a result, I'll benefit. Zig Ziglar talks about help enough people get what they want, and you'll get everything you want. Mm -hmm. It's the same approach. So my vision board for 2018 is going to make that, have that distinction on there. It's going to be love slash connection and also contribution. That's a good goal. I bet a lot of people can relate with that significance being in their driving motivation. What about you? What's the latest? I really, thankfully, don't have any updates on my properties. Things are starting to go smoothly. I haven't heard anything from any issues from residents in <clears throat> over a week. I did have a interesting adventure last week with a contractor and I fixed my garage door and him just falling off the face of the plant. I still haven't heard back from him to this day. Oh, I thought you were about to say he fell off the garage. No, 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 no. no. He, didn't, he just didn't show up. And I had to find a regular garage door repair service. So obviously, that was more expensive than having a contractor do it. And then when they were there, they found out, oh man, I forgot about this. 
They found out. You talking about your property or your house? No, my properties. Okay. They found out because of uh, fourplex, they got two garages. Oh, okay. And uh, they went to fix the one garage because the spring had snapped and so the garage door wouldn't go up. And I had a plumber working on something in the other garage. And so like, they were kind of just the plumbers and the garage door repairmen were going back and forth. And then I go, you know, you guys are here. Let's just check all the other garage doors. And they checked the first one. And so they got the railings that are connected to the ceiling and the motor sitting on that. And then it's got like the, the little chain that pulls the mm-hmm. garage door up and down. So that rail wasn't connected to the ceiling. It was laying on a pipe that was going across the garage. And the pipe was had asbestos on it. And the chain, whenever the garage would go up and down, would grind against the asbestos pipe. And it would just flicker asbestos in the air. Oh. And the guy's like, this is completely illegal. And then on top of that, you know the little sensors that are supposed to be on the bottom mm-hmm. on the garage? So if you break it, it'll stop. For some reason, he like taped those to the garage door motor. So obviously that's also completely illegal because... The sensors don't work. The sensors don't work. And so I had to fix all that. And since the motor wasn't connected to the ceiling, the motor was basically completely shot. So <laughs> that was fun. But, but, but besides that, everything's looking good. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. I think you conveniently blocked that out of your mind. I did. It's like, everything's perfect. Wait a second. Actually, well, that, that's a minor thing, and I'm glad that was resolved. I've got the lesson now to just expect <coughs> the garage doors. All of them. Yes. Like, expect all the garages. Yes. So the last thing we wanted to do today was the new Amazon headquarter prediction. It's going to be in Dallas. Here it is. This is... You're already here first. It is 80% <laughs> research, 20% wishful, hopeful thinking. Because if it goes to Dallas, then we'll have 10 properties that will benefit as a result of it. So that will be a multi-million dollar announcement if it happens to be Dallas for our portfolio. The reason why I say Dallas is because, one, no one knows except for Amazon. And any publication that says they're, these cities are leading contenders, they don't know either. Everyone's speculating, right? But it's fun to speculate. So here's my part of the speculation. I believe that Amazon will want to not be on the West Coast. I think all West Coast cities are done. You're not going to be on the West Coast because they're already on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. I think they will want to be in a more central to East Coast location. So now we've eliminated one-third of the United States. Now the remaining two-thirds of the United States, I believe that Dallas-Fort Worth and being close, I think they're within a five-hour flight from any city in the United States, I believe, That's going to be beneficial, including Seattle, I imagine. And the business-friendly environment of Texas is going to pull in another company. Plano just got Toyota. Well, not just. They just opened up their headquarters, uh, multi-multi-million dollar headquarters in Plano, which is the suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. And I believe the two things that would hold DFW back, one is public transportation. It's not good. And two is access to engineers. I believe those two will not be as high of a priority because with public transportation, people drive in Texas. It's just how it is. I don't think that's going to be as high of a factor as the other factors like being close to all the other cities, having a friendly work environment, having expansive land to grow on being in a major city with major sports teams, things like that, where people who are employed by Amazon can actually hang out and have fun. And the other one, the lack of supply of engineers. Texas has some with some universities. I went to Texas Tech University and University of Texas there, Texas A&M. But it's not like a, maybe Atlanta with Georgia Tech 
and other schools like that. I think you can get people to move to Texas, to move to Dallas, because it's already been proven. People do move. People are moving to Texas, moving to Dallas all the time. You're getting 100,000 new jobs, I think, a year in Dallas-Fort Worth. So that's going to continue, and Dallas-Fort Worth is going to be the winner. Well, I can't pick Dallas, so I'm going to go with my original pick, which is Atlanta. Yeah. And that's just based off of, I used to work for a logistic company, and I spent I guess, so much time running models on to set up a distribution center. So obviously I know it's not going to be a distribution center, but that's just the only experience I have. So If Amazon released the list of top three, which they won't for political reasons, I don't think, they'll probably tell everyone they got second place. Yeah. But seriously. if they did, then I believe Atlanta would be number two. Well, number three, you think? Chicago. Okay. I think it's Dallas, Atlanta, and Chicago, but Dallas is going to win. Cool. Awesome. So just a couple additional housekeeping things. The so best ever right. conference. Do we still have the early bird special or we just have regular price tickets now? I don't know. I think it's regular price tickets. You can go besteverconference.com and check that out. And then also the apartment syndication book, we've got that. It will be being published in a couple months. So be on the lookout. Any call to action there so they can stay in touch or stay in the loop? Not yet. We're going to put something together here in the coming months Got so it. you guys can get some uh, exclusive content. And then real quick, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes for your opportunity to be the review of the week. This week, a shout-out to Brooke Craven. Her review was Joe, host of the best real estate investing advice ever, highlights all aspects of real estate investing in this can't-miss podcast. The host and expert guests offer insightful advice that is helpful to anyone that listens. Thank you, Brooke. I appreciate it. And... Thank you for listening. I am very grateful that the more listeners and the more reviews that we get, the higher quality of guests that we're able to attract to the show. So please continue the reviews, and I'll do my best to do my part and continue with the quality content and bringing in quality guests. So that being said, enjoy the weekend. Best ever listeners, and talk to you tomorrow. You want to get better at negotiating real estate? Well, how about do you want to get better at negotiating real estate for free? Even better, right? Well, go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has partnered with best-selling author Jay Scott to provide you with a free chapter from Jay's new book on negotiating real estate. I've read the book. Lots of good real-world case studies sprinkled in there, too. I love it when they do that. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever to download your free copy of the chapter today. The Target Market Insights Podcast is just that, a show solely dedicated to help you learn about target markets through the people successfully shaping them. The show features professionals who work directly with the audience and market you want to connect with in real estate. Listen and subscribe today at TargetMarketInsights.com. That's TargetMarketInsights.com.